Well, let's please, if you could just open up uh, your Bible or your, look at your device. We again want you to open the Word of God as uh, follow along and look wherever, but just make sure you have your, dev- your device. I do put the scripture up here on, on the screen, but we want to be a people who read from the Word of God. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 19 to 29, and let, we're just going to read together. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, And said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Again, as Aaron shared this morning, as a tradition. He has risen. That was a phrase they said actually from the early church. As they greeted one another, as they went through the streets, they often said that. They would say, he is risen. And they would respond back as they knew that Christ had, he is risen indeed. A bold proclamation. You know what, today we celebrate uh, what Paul stated actually was the cornerstone of our faith. And you said it, Paul, or Aaron, you said, if, if we did not have the resurrection, we'd just roll up the carpet. It's, let's go home. And I'm so thankful for the cross, but I actually appreciate the resurrection more. And, and the reason is this, is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verse 17, this, Paul talking to the Corinthians, he said, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Uh, what Paul is arguing to the Corinthian church was this. For the church, was to be, they were, he was trying to encourage them to believe in the resurrection. Because the resurrection had become, it was the receipt for the bill that had been paid. You ever get a, rece- you ever get a receipt? The bill has been paid? Anyone, anyone got that? How many of you hate those things? It reminds you how much you just paid. That's me. Anyway. Well, you see, what he's saying is the cross is completely pointless without the resurrection. That Jesus' sacrifice of a perfect, sinless person was accepted by God on our behalf. That's what the resurrection is saying. We have atonement for our sins and can believe that we have forgiveness and eternal life. In fact, what he's saying is all the claims, everything that Jesus said, we can accept and receive because he rose again. All the promises, all of them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Remember that? 
we can believe it. So why did Paul write this to the Corinthian church? Because they were doubting the resurrection. Just like the disciples in Thomas. You know, and I can't actually blame uh, the disciples or the Corinthian church or anyone who doubts because how, how many know that doubt is something that we all deal with? And, I, and in fact, sometimes like, I, I, don't, I, I don't, you know, miscredit or give any problem with them doubting, but I also wonder why they doubted. I mean, if I think in some ways, weren't these the guys that actually were saw Jesus? They saw the miracles? Didn't they see him raise Lazarus from the dead? Did, he, did they not see him walk on water? And, and yet they still doubted. And didn't he also tell them that he was coming back? He had predicted this, and yet here they are still doubting. Because what happened was, the, the words of Jesus had suddenly just become a memory because of the circumstances that just happened. Suddenly, circumstances and all the situations that had just happened made all those words just disappear. Have you ever had that? You know God's promises, you know his truths, but just circumstances and situations make you forget. Um, now, I, I don't know, how many, how many out there have any problem with forgetting? Well, how about maybe we, like the disciples, through life's journey, we forget God's word because we're dealing with doubt, we're dealing with fear, anxiety. Any, any of you have that? Do you any deal with doubt, fear, anxiety? Yeah? Have any of you got kids? Because, man, that brings a lot of anxiety. (laughs) You know, I'm so thankful for this Easter Sunday because Jesus, in this passage, shows how he wants to meet with us and he shows how he deals with our doubts and fears. And he wants to give us this morning what I, this beautiful term that I, I kind of talked about and, and I'm thinking of what, well, how would I call this? And today it's, it's my title is this. He wants to give us resurrection faith. Resurrection faith. Not just faith, but resurrection faith. The kind that says, you're right here, you're alive. You're with me. Because I believe this, to believe in miracles actually requires us to face doubts. And, and, and what I love about it is it's okay to be a person who struggles with doubt. Is when I look at this scripture and how Jesus dealt with his disciples, I see a kind and merciful God helping them in their belief, in their faith. It kind of reminds me of, if you remember the story in the Bible about of a father in Mark chapter 9, a father that was struggling because he had a young son who had been struggling with, uh, with demons. All through his life, these demons that were... And what happened in Mark chapter 9 was, this, this, the, as Jesus was up being transfigured and he was away, he came down from the transfiguration and his disciples had met this father who asked his disciples to cast this demon out, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. I thought they had all, you know, given this authority. and They're kind of puzzled. They prayed and this isn't happening. And Jesus comes up to him. And, and this is what's neat is the father. Listen to what the father says to them in Mark chapter 9, verse 22. The, the father came to Jesus and said, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And look at Jesus' response. And Jesus said to them, if you can, exclamation mark, if you can, All things are possible for one who believes. 
Well, listen to the response of the father. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. It's like when you come and say, I believe, but I'm struggling to believe. What is Jesus' response to that? Does he rebuke a father like that? No. In fact, he goes on and he prays for the son and the son is healed. That's Jesus. And that's the same Jesus that I see meeting his disciples on Resurrection Sunday. And even a week later. And even meeting us today. Help me in my unbelief. You see, Jesus comes to us even in our doubts. And this is what I see from this passage of Scripture. The disciples and Thomas, he meets us, and then he says, but I want to I meet you there and increase and give you faith. This morning, Jesus wants to help us with our faith, to give us resurrection faith. Resurrection faith. Because faith is a product of the Spirit, and faith is a gift, actually. It's understanding that faith comes not from us, but from God. It is, a, it is a product of God's operation in our life. And what it does is this. When you get faith, it changes even the word of God. And in fact, what it does is faith is worth hearing, but hearing what? The word of God. The word of God without faith does not actually do anything for you. It must have faith to enable it. And I'll give you an example. One scripture that God's saying, I want you to think about this and just just sink your teeth into it because if you have faith, it will radically change your perspective. And it's this scripture. It comes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. If It was like what Dave said a couple weeks ago. If you stand on a promise and then incorporate that promise into your life, wow, it's like now you're, 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 you're something to contend with. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think or imagine, according to his power at work in us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could even imagine, you come up with your best thought, your most outlandish, what you think would be the best miracle, and God's going, that's small potatoes. And that same power is now living in you. Think about it. Add faith to that one scripture and you will be a completely different beast to deal with or a person. Oh, my, mom's, my, my wife says I'm a beast. When she sees me in the morning, she's like, oh, get with it. Anyway, I'll go with her. Look how Jesus comes to give resurrection faith in the midst of fear and doubt. Let's look. This is what he wants to do. He wants to come and give you that. So how does he do it? First, first he gives faith that gives peace. In verse 19, 21, and 26. On that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And then again in 21, Jesus said to me, he repeats it a second time. And again with him, he says, Peace be with you. And then 26, you know, eight days and 20, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples are again inside and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Why does he have to keep saying peace be with you? Well, obviously, the scripture even tells why fear had come into the disciples' hearts. 
Fear had gripped him. Now, did you know this, that one of the most repeated commands in Scripture is do not fear. Why is that? The other command is love one another, but, you know, I, I get that one. <laughs> but why would he say do not fear? Why is the, one of the commands that the Lord gives to us? Well, I think it's this, is the Lord knows our greatest weakness and our greatest point of failure. He knows what would make us turn away from an opportunity. Or what's a lack of courage or, or missing out on the lifestyle that he's called us to be and that he wants for us. Fear is probably the, the thing that we have to deal with in, in, the, in the most uh, <laughs> aggressive way. What, as we just went through a whole series about the children of Israel here have this promise and they get to the promised land, what, what kept them out? from actually entering in. Fear. They're giants. It's too big. What's going to happen? Oh no, what if we don't have the finances? What if we don't have this? Everything that suddenly becomes the antithesis or against faith is fear. But the Lord knows how to deal with this. Well, how do we deal with this fear? How does the Lord deal with this fear? Well, the word of God says this, perfect love casts out fear. See, God actually knows a way to share and how to get rid of fear. He knows the antidote. He knows how and what would be the best way for us, you know, to get the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Actually, the get, getting rid of fear is perfect love. But the, the, the thing about this is perfect love does not originate from us. How many of you have perfect love? Outside of Burl, I think everyone else is falling short, just so you know. John, you got a pretty close call there, my friend. Coffee every Sunday? Come on, that's perfect love. You're speaking my love language, heavenly brew. Okay. We, you see, we, with, <laughs> we don't have a grid. In fact, perfect love cannot come from us. We love him because he first loved us. Love, it does not originate from us. It comes from an expression from God. This means it's actually a response because of his extension towards us, because he is perfect love. And what the neat thing about, we're exp- he's explaining that the, the Christian life is simply a mirror. We get to mirror back what we see. And this is it. We mirror that you have received perfect love. Now, guess what? You give back. And it's not a copy. It's a mirror. I wonder why he tells us we're called in the image of God. When you're called in the image of God, you are meant to reflect and mirror who? It's not you. It's simply, if you ever look at a mirror, especially in the morning, it can get pretty scary if you're going, wow, I really look like that? Well, I think when we look at the mirror, we're supposed to be, he says, I want to, I see Jesus. And he's in, and he go, and when I look in the mirror, do I see Jesus? Well, Lord, give me some new eyes because maybe we're supposed to. We love him because he first love. And so this concept is the same with peace. Jesus has brought us peace before God. Peace be with you. Jesus just declares it. You now live in peace. It's the word shalom in the Hebrew or irene in the Greek. The basic meaning of shalom 
is complete or wholeness. It's like a stone wall that has no cracks. If I was to say shalom to you, I'm talking about complete wholeness. So when he says, peace be with you, he's like, shalom. Have you got this wholeness? How do you get that wholeness unless it comes from God? And and the neat thing is, what Jesus had just done is he paid a price that we may have peace before God. There is no enmity. In fact, Dave was sharing about that a couple, that suddenly this great curtain that had been between us and God had been torn down. One of the signs, one of the evidences that he was the son of God was this, te- this curtain being torn down so that we could enter in. That the peace, the hostility that we have, that God has, the wrath of God even being dealt with. Peace be with you. Jesus doesn't rebuke them, in fact, for this lack of faith. He simply extends who he is to them. But this is how he did it. I love this. Peace be with you. And what does he do very next in verse 20? And he said this, and he showed him his hands and his side. Why did he do that? Why did suddenly Jesus go, peace be with you, but oh. Why? I'm going to show you the full extent of my love. If perfect love casts out fear, I'm going to show you some love so you can have peace. You want some love? Look, look what I did for you. Peace? Oh, you love me. For he who did not spare his own son, how much more is he willing to give you all things? All things. You know how much he loves you? He does not have to prove his love anymore. In fact, that is perfect love. That is the perfect love that we're needing to embrace. And that gives us peace. That's the thing that says, peace be with you. I don't know. How do I know I've got peace? And he goes, well, you want me to show you? Okay, well, here you go. Do you know anyone else that would do that? Do you know anyone that would love you so much? How much more is he willing to do all things for you? Whoo, he's on my side. peace. This is the revelation that even in my doubt, God wants to show me his love. And so I look at the cross, I look at what he did, and I receive this peace. In other words, what happens is when I look at Jesus, and when I start to, maybe I'm starting to fear. How many of you know when you do, we all battle fear, we all battle doubts, but what we're supposed to do is get our eyes on the love of God and on him, and suddenly fear becomes like a water off a duck's back. And even this, even if you were to deal with all the Satan has to give you and all this fire of hell that would be thrown at you, he's really not that impressive when you think about the love of God. Or as in Dave said, which I love, Dave, you already stole it, man. He's got death in a headlock and he's saying, give him up. He, like the same God, because this is what Jesus did. He knew that when he went to the cross, guess what? The righteous one will not see decay because my father loves me. I'm going to trust him even through death. That's what Jesus was operating out of that perfect love that even through a cross. 
Resurrection faith is encountering Jesus' love in a greater measure that brings peace. Peace in your family, peace in our all areas, peace in our finances, peace in our soul. So that's the first thing. Look what Jesus wants to give. Now, look also how Jesus comes to give us resurrection faith in the midst of fear and doubt. He does this. He gives faith through the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus meets them in their doubt, but then he goes, hey, peace be with you, and look, 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 and whew. I mean, you got a breath mint? Like, no, what are you doing? Why did you do that? No, no, this is crucial. This is absolutely important for us to see how Jesus wants to give resurrection faith. And it's the beautiful truth that even in our doubts, Jesus is the promise to provide his Holy Spirit. Did you know that you can be in doubt and still receive the Holy Spirit? Really? It's a gift. You do not have to earn it. You do not have to be some super, uber spiritual person. He just simply goes, receive. Really, that's it? But he goes, let me give this gift of the Spirit to you. And he breathed on them, receive the Spirit. It's a foretaste of what would happen when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. That's what's happening here. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you're not meant to do this Christian life in your own strength, but through the Spirit. It, 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 to do this means you have to be really humble, actually, to be a Christian. Because you have to understand the gospel. It requires us to say, help, I am in need. And I need your Spirit. Helps me to believe In fact, this is what Jesus said when he was talking to Nicodemus, a very spiritual uh, a person who taught. He said, did you know you cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again? Unless the Spirit comes inside you, you cannot receive the kingdom. And Nicodemus had a hard time going, what do you mean? Do I have to go back in my mother's womb? What are you talking about? He said, no, no. You need the Spirit. It means God filling me with his life so I don't have my life but his life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. Is that what Paul said? And I realize that I, that I need to operate on this on, a, on more. Actually, what I'm realizing is that I need more of God, more in God every day. In fact, I'm needing resurrection faith to say, God going, breathe on me every day. And I know it how I, man, if I didn't know this, it's like God drilling it into me. Okay, I'll give you an example. Just this last Thursday. Three days, oh, how many? Today's Thursday, Sunday. Saturday, four days ago. Okay, it's not quite the, you know, Thursday. It's not quite the full resurrection, you know, Good Friday to Sunday. But here we go, one day over, missed it. Thursday, I was doing this. I literally just woke up, decided that I'm going to go meet my friend Keith Miners. How many of you know Keith Miners? I've met Keith. He's like a spiritual father to me. I've been meeting with him for still like 13 years. Every two weeks, go for coffee, encourage each other with the Lord. And I'm going to like get up and I, oh, okay, I gotta go to see Keith. Now I left my house like I'm not even out the door. Maybe even th- three, four minutes. I came out my door, went in the car, drive, and I got to the first intersection. And as I get to the first intersection, I suddenly saw another car come up, pulled up, and I pulled up. And he put a signal light on, so he was going to turn right. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go straight through. Well, no sooner as I gone straight through, the car decided to go straight. And instantly I'm like, oh no! I probably looked very much like this guy up here. In fact, yeah, it looks like me. Anyway, I'm like, ah! Oh no! And I, and I just hit the gas and went by. Well, the guy was honking his horn. And I thought, what's going on? And you signaled. And I'm thinking, what's... Okay, okay. Well, morning and here we go. And then I go to the next... I go literally to one corner next down the next street. And I'm falling behind another guy. 
And then as I get to this next guy, I see him signal. So I thought, okay, great, I'm going to go around him. Well, as soon as I get around him, he decides he's not going to turn, but keep going straight. So now we're cruising down Gateway Street, like almost neck and neck, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? What kind of place am I living in? What mad? I'm like, I'm getting super mad. I am now uber frustrated thinking, what place have I been living in that people do not know how to drive? Well, then I get to the third place. As now I get into the third exit, as I get to a stop or to a, a, a light, and I get to this light, and uh, I'm at a, it's a red light, and I see this car coming down gate or rally, and this car was coming, and it's, they got a green light, so I'm like, I'm now going to turn right, so I've, I'm just waiting for them to go, because I can turn right on a right light or a red light, but waiting, and they slow down. And they slow down. I'm looking up, green light, slow down, green light, slow down, green light. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you slowing down? It's not green light. I'm literally frothing at this point. It hasn't even been five, 10 minutes of my day. And I am now full of anger, rage, fits of rage, jealousy, dissensions, factions, everything that the flesh could possibly give. There is no fruit of the Spirit whatsoever at this point. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, love. I'm realizing in 10 minutes, I have nothing of God's spirit inside me. I am living completely on my own. But the neat thing is Ron has been taking us through this thing of saying, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to get into God. And so he started doing these things. He said, let's do an exercise. We're going to call it stars. Guys, we're going to do this as a, as a leadership team. Have you ever felt that you're not living in the spirit? You need to get, a, you need to get your eyes focused. Let's go to do stars. And that's what stars means. Stars is stop. Whatever's happening, just stop. And then what you do is you take a breath. It's amazing how many times in the staff room now we're all going, like we're breathing like crazy. Anyway, usually it's because somebody's made us mad. Anyway, next, we take an appreciation. Think a memory that you would appreciate, something that God has done for you. And then R, reconnect and get with the Holy Spirit. This thing works. Because that Thursday, okay, Lord, took a breath. Jesus, thank you for even keeping me alive. Thank you for keeping me aware of this. Thank you that I need you today. But I ask you for your spirit. Bless these people. Help me to operate different. Suddenly the spirit just came in. I was, I was different. But the point of it is this. You and I need the Holy Spirit. You know why we're doing this empowered weekend? Because we need the spirit. Do you know why we do a hearing God seminar? Because we need to hear the Holy Spirit. We are in such times and places that if we think we can do this thing without the Lord, we are gravely mistaken. Why do we say it's so important to be empowered by the Spirit? Because God says flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. We, in fact, I was saying to this, you know, a worship team, they come in and they're doing a great, these guys are amazing. But do you know what makes it so amazing? It's not the, 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 the technicality of the, of the songs or how well they've practiced, although that is part of it, because the Spirit will lead you to excellence. The question is, have they, are they full of God? Are they seeking the presence of God? Because when we came in here, are we coming to hear a song, or are we coming to meet with Jesus? That was extra. It wasn't in my notes first. Hey. <laughs> You see, it's about letting him put new breath in our lungs. I love how he breathed. He said, Whew. 
You see that? I can't, you can't breathe and you can't live without the Spirit. Let me breathe life in you. Let's move on. Look at how Jesus gives resurrection faith in the midst of fear and doubt. He does this faith that declares worship. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Neil Booth does this neat thought about doubting Thomas. He said it was resurrection Sunday. Thomas was missing. He was not there when Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples. Where was he? We're not told. But we don't need to. Maybe he was just too overcome with grief or to be with the other people. Because you remember when Lazarus fell ill in, in John 11, Thomas said, let us go with, Jerusalem, go, to, go with Jesus to Jerusalem so that we too may die. It's because Thomas knew that if, when Jesus is dead, there's no point in staying alive. And now, well, so far as Thomas knows, Jesus is dead. So he is actually full of grief. And so when he does finally return to the disciples and they tell him that Jesus is somehow alive again and they've seen him, he's really in no mood to listen. Just listen to what he says. He says this, Look, unless I see his hands and the print of his nails, okay, yeah, I, we get it, Thomas. No, no. And place my finger in the mark of his nails. Yep, whoa, whoa, right, okay, Thomas. Like that's, that's a little extreme. Uh, and place my hand in his side, Whoa, fine, Thomas. Now you're, you're getting pretty demanding, don't you think? I will not believe. The, you ever have someone who says, I don't care, I just will not believe? Do you have any loved ones that are like that? You see, Thomas seems a bit extreme in his opinions and conditional, but Jesus still meets him. Jesus appears again and turns straight to Thomas here, and he says, Put your finger here. See my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. I, can, I bet Thomas's face his, was a picture. Just imagine what was going on. And I love this picture because this one is just wild. I, I, it's, it seems a little graphic, but I thought, man, what it would be like is you're actually being able to, to say, whoa, this is you, Jesus. This is really you. You see, the very first word that Jesus spoke showed Thomas that he'd been listening, but was unseen. Thomas, I heard you. I heard what you said. And even when Thomas was laying down his conditions of faith, he heard every unless that Thomas was giving. And that's what made Thomas drop to his knees and say, the ultimate declaration of faith, my Lord and my God. Faced with the fact of Jesus' resurrection, Thomas' faith was restored. His feelings of despair were replaced by feelings of joy, and they followed on his faith. And that's how it should be. Our our feelings do not dictate faith. Faith is actually dictated by fact. See, when I often, people say, what is faith? And I go, faith is the evidence of things unseen, but it actually still has to have fact. And this is one of the strongest texts in the New Testament on the deity of Christ. What Thomas suddenly made a declaration is so profound, he is calling Jesus God. He is worshiping him. And some cults have actually said, well, you know, Thomas was just a little overwhelmed at this resurrection thing, and he kind of like, he almost like did a, he, he, he almost, prof, he just kind of profaned. 
But that's not actually accurate. I think Thomas is being very real in that he encounters the fact of Christ and he's like, you are God. You are God. He is now declaring because he has encountered Christ who does not reject him for his doubt. In fact, he just says, let me show you a fact. Thomas' statement is a clear confession of his newly found faith in Jesus as Lord and God. And in John's entire purpose in writing this book is that all the readers will come to confess as Jesus as their Lord and their God. We're supposed to be with Thomas going, really? Wow, if someone can put their finger in touch like that, that's not a spirit. That's, that's not an image. That's not a figment of their imagination. That's real. And I, I love this because who do you say I am? A prophet, a teacher, a lunatic, a legend, or a historical incarnation? This is what C.S. Lewis, uh, a famous writer, actually wrestled through. C.S. Lewis was a ph- philosopher and a writer, and he was a bold atheist. Very bold. He would uh, argue like crazy that, that all this you know, God stuff was just myth and legend and people's fantasy and making things up. And the reason was after going through World War I, he saw life through a war lens. And he asked, how can a loving God allow such atrocity in the world? And he literally said, there cannot be a God. And he was influenced by Sigmund Freud and fantasy, and he loved writing. He saw the Bible no different than any other book that was telling myth or legend. Until he was challenged by his friend J.R. Tolkien, You know the guy who wrote The Hobbit and wrote Lord of the Rings? They were best mates. They were best mates. But J.R. Tolkien was a Christian and and C.S. Lewis was not. But they would talk and talk. Often long. uh, And what I I love about this is it was one of his friends, it was one of C.S. Lewis's friends that said it's hard to deny that this Christ wasn't a historical person. And it put a a thought in C.S. Lewis. Wait a second. What if this was a history? And it started to drive a question, a fact in C.S. Lewis's mind. And then he read Chesterton and found that the creator was present in the daily life of men. And then he started saying, this is like no other religion. And now he was really questioning. And the idea that this was a historical being, and if his claims are true, it helps to believe in God, that it, a God that's actually in history and in mankind. Well, in 1931, walking with Tolkien and Hugo Dizen, they were talking as friends. They stayed up till 4 a.m. debating. And this is what Tolkien said. They talked about mythology. They stayed up and he said this. I am a literary critic and I know myth when I see it. I know legend when I see it. And I know an eyewitness when I see it. And I recognize metaphor. But what if this is literal history? You see, I don't know if Osiris walked the earth, but Jesus left footprints. And that's when he became a a theist. He believed because he had the facts, and he couldn't deny it. I want to agree with Dave and ask us, who are we declaring Jesus is? Like Thomas, he wants us to be able to declare him as God. 
For God so loves you and I that he had come into this world and die. He's a part of the Trinity. He's one with the Father. This morning, Jesus wants to extend grace to our doubts and help us to declare and help to share with others. The last one, which I want to make sure I get through because this is very important. Look at how Jesus comes and gives resurrection faith in the midst of fear and doubt. He gives them faith that proclaims to others. Verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, and as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And this is very important. That's why, I'm sorry, I know you think, man, you're four points. Oh yeah, but this one I have to go. This is the crux of it. You see, resurrection faith isn't just about you and I. It's a faith that is meant to be shared with others. The reason Jesus met them was to give them resurrection faith so they could do this with other people. And in verse 20, it says these, 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 this verse that he gives is, is the Great Commission. It serves as the culmination of the entire gospel presentation. Peace be with you. Now go. I am sending you. I'm, I know you had fear and doubt, and look, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to blow the Holy Spirit on you. I'm going to, but, and I also want to give, give you so you can declare, but I want you so you can share. And it's beautiful as I start to say, God, I want you to increase my faith, to increase my faith so I can share it with the world. I had this revelation as I was doing this scripture and these verses, and it just overwhelmed me. I suddenly realized that as Thomas was sitting there and he was holding, he, he said, I won't believe. I am just not going to believe unless I put my finger in the holes of, of his hands or touch his side. Unless I touch his wounds, I will not believe. And the Lord said, there are many people that live today like that. So how are they going to believe? How will they ever know? And then I I said, I don't know, Jesus. And he said, you are my hands and my feet. Let me explain it like this. There's a people out there that want to know that God is real. And the only way is they're going to be able to touch flesh. And we are God's body in this world. Which means this, that when you sometimes, and I I love this idea, because sometimes we think as Christians, we have to have it all together. We have to not show our doubts. We can't show our anxieties, and we can't. But the truth is, there's, there's a people going, unless I touch the wounds, your wounds, your hurts, I'm not gonna believe. They actually have this picture that Christians look like we have it all together. And you are so perfect that they go, we can't, we don't have a grid because my life isn't like that. And Jesus is saying, I want you to let them touch your wounds. Let them touch how you've been pierced. Let them touch you, and then they will believe. They will say, he is the Son of God. My God. Because they are, you, as as you're allowing all of the stuff that you go through in real time with real people, because what happens is when we actually are dealing with our doubts or our fears, Suddenly they go, it seems like they have a different life. They're operating not the way that I would respond. They have the life of Jesus in them. He must be God.
And like Paul, I want to do this. I want to be a people. It's okay to be, not that we excuse sin, not that we, but we, we are okay with taking risks. We're okay with failing. We're okay with making mistakes. And that, you know, it's going to get messy and we're going to, we're going to be a people who gives so much grace because we recognize it is not us that live, but Christ that lives in us. That we would, we're okay with showing our wounds to people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, it said, Paul says this, if I will boast, I will boast the things that show my weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses? Oh, church, just think about it. I'm going to boast that I need Jesus. Your pastor needs Jesus. Your pastor cannot do this. He doesn't want to even try to do this on his own strength. He's going to look pretty feeble. He's going to look pretty needy at times. He's going to look like he doesn't have it all together, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not trying to look like it has to be perfect. I don't, I'm, I'm okay with it being, you know, it's going to be messy, and I'm going to make mistakes. How many of you know I'm going to make mistakes? And everyone's nodding. Oh, man, praise the Lord. We know that. Grace, grace, the blood, Jesus. Here we go. But then we also turn to one another, and we say, are you weak? Are you trying to do it all? Think at all you got to, are you just presenting and when you're actually inside, absolutely devastated because you're dealing with cancer or you're dealing with a financial stress or you're dealing with just your family, a marriage. Maybe you're going through that, but you, no, no, I can't show my weaknesses. But I bet you if you showed your weakness, there will be people going around saying, let, let me touch those wounds. Let me touch them because I want to see Jesus. And I won't believe unless I see real. I know that's what I want to be like. You see, Thomas was much, was much like that. As Thomas, he was doubting Thomas. He's known as millions, actually, as St. Thomas. And Christian tradition holds that he's actually to set sail for India and was to be the first to spread the Christian faith there. In the end, his doubt, his desire to know Jesus for himself was what brought him to faith. And that faith gave him the strength to bring that message to so many others. If you go to India today, St. Thomas is the one who just didn't just doubt, but who believed and helped others to believe. But he was lucky, right? He got to touch Jesus. He got to do all that. Man, I wish I was Thomas. I wish I had these encounters with him. But why is it then he says, you know, blessed are you who've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen, but believed. I'll give you one example of a lady that I've been really impressed with. She was 30 years old. She had a profound encounter with the Lord. She just, God spoke to her. She knew that she had a mission. She felt that the Lord was so real. But you know what? She then said, what do I do about it? And and she kind of then started taking these little steps of faith, but all through the time having doubt, worried, discouraged. She didn't know if it was going to happen, but she just kept doing this. In fact, she was doing it for 50 years. Now, the neat thing is this, is nobody knew what was internally going on. She shared shared later in her faith, in her book and stuff like that, of how she would often go through the dark night of the soul. Often struggling, going, even doubting her faith sometimes. 
because she couldn't understand why so much pain and where things are going and how people could be so, and yet she was called to them. Now, this little lady, this lady is that we would all know, we, she would actually, if she was with the disciples, we would have called her Doubting Teresa. But we would affectionately know her as Mother Teresa. I was so impressed that I, I think that she's this, she must have been a pinnacle of faith. She was so full of courage and so full. But when I actually was reading her biography, I found out that she struggled sometimes. And she called out in the Lord. I will boast in my weaknesses that I need his help to deal, with, to deal with orphans. That I sometimes wonder if, you know, why is, is and, and, and I was able to be so real that this, that not all of us can do great things, but we can all, we can do small things with great love. And she relied on his love to just pour into her. 